0: Welcome to Conversations in Grief, a podcast from Anamkara, an organization set up by bereaved parents to help themselves and all bereaved parents cope with their grief and loss and journey on. I'm Sam whelan curtin and in this second season of the podcast series, we'll be hearing from parents as they share their own unique stories of their children and their journey through grief. In this episode, we will be talking about the experience of tragic, accidental death and the impacts on the whole family with Mary as she speaks to us about her son, Luke. Mary, thank you for being with us. Can you introduce yourself and your family?
1: Well, I'm Mary and my husband is Brian and we we have four children, Ben, Eva and then Luke is or was the third and Joe.
0: Can you tell me more about Luke and introduce us to him as a person and his life?
1: Well, he was a very, very jolly baby and child. He was happy, big red cheeks and he was burly and he was very good-humoured and um, very sweet-natured. Well, for one thing, he was really, really talented musically. Now, I know I'm his mother, <laughs> but actually everyone thought he was. He, um, he had a beautiful singing voice. He could play guitar and piano fantastically well. He could pick up any tune and play it. He was in a number of bands throughout his teens. And he wrote a lot of songs as well. And um, actually we made a CD of his songs for his 10th anniversary recently for his friends. He was also very funny. He did great stuff. He could mimic. um, I have great memories of him and his cousin, Louisa. They were very close. And when we were on holidays in Donegal years ago, they took off Nigel Slater with the virgin potato. (laughs) And it was really funny. It was really funny. I wish we'd recorded it. He was very funny, but he began to show signs of disturbance when he was 13, getting obsessive thinking, getting very agitated, depressed, and it it really the rest of his life was a struggle. During his teens he was hospitalised a few times, he was suicidal other times. He was diagnosed with bipolar disorder and um, in his early 20s he began to make great Progress really. He went to college in his early twenties and he actually got a first class honours degree in psychology. And he went up to the University of Ulster to do a master's in psychology. And he was doing well at that. But he had found meditation and mindfulness and Buddhism and yoga, all those things really, really helped him. He was really into that. And he led a very, very healthy life then, once he began to you know, progress. He wouldn't drink any alcohol, no drugs, no cigarettes, yoga, swimming, running, very healthy. However, he had stopped taking the medication that it prescribed, lithium and whatever else. And he didn't tell us for a while afterwards and there was no discussing it with him. He would not contemplate going back on it. So the result was that he was really rocky. His moods were, it was really hard for him to manage, so up and down. And he that he kind of tried to control with with food what he ate he was very extreme he only ate raw food and um, he he drank a lot of water which was his downfall in the end he'd only drink purified filtered water and um, anyway that's what he died of one day he went out to the garden to drink he kept his water filter thing out there and to get the water and I went out 20 minutes later to do something in the garden and I saw him lying down and I thought it was a joke first, but actually he was dead. It was just completely out of the blue. At the inquest anyway, it was di- it was a thing called hyponatremia. Hyponatremia. So basically, too much water, not enough salt, and it just flooded his brain, and he actually died instantly. It's unusual to die suddenly from that, the coroner said. You know, it's more usually. There were warning signs, but there were no warning signs for him. So it was a terrible shock, of course.
0: I can't imagine the impact of a, such a sudden loss like that. Can you talk to me about the moments and the time that followed his death? The hours, the days?
1: Well, obviously, it was a nightmare. Um, and it kind of, for me, it got worse. First of all, you're in kind of shock and you don't realise how awful it's going to be. We got to the funeral, we all all the family spoke at his funeral. And I dunno, I kind of went under. Brian, really, my husband kept the whole thing going. And everyone all the everyone was in bits, you know. Eva was working in London and she came home for the funeral, she stayed for some weeks. She went back to work and then she couldn't. She had to come home again. Joe was completely out of it for years, actually. It took him eight years to um, come back to himself and there was an awful feeling that the whole family would fall apart Luke had been kind of the central figure the full group. everyone got on well with him the other three he emailed all of them every day they had jokes going on and messes going on and they wouldn't necessarily all be in touch with each other so when he died it just it was an awful fear of everything a, a central fear everyone just would fall apart It was um, a pretty horrible time. And it was, for me, it was a few months before I began to do anything that would really help myself, really.
0: Tell me, what were you feeling or not feeling? What was the experience in that time?
1: I was devastated, I think. Um, I blamed myself. I thought I should have known, you know, that he was drinking, I should have known this, you know. And it took me a long time to get over that. I felt suicidal. I wanted to be with them. I didn't really attempt suicide, you know, but I did. Didn't want to live. Didn't want to go on. And Joe became really disturbed, and he he had to go into hospital for a while just for his own safety. The whole thing. I think of it now. I just how did we? It was a total nightmare. After about three months. My aunt, my godmother, she was 90 at the time, rang me up and she said she'd seen an article in the paper about this outfit called Anna and Cara and they were having a meeting and maybe I should try to go. So I did go. That was about over three months after Luke died. The other thing was I wasn't able to cry. I cried the day or two after he died and then I couldn't cry for another three or four months. I just couldn't and I wanted to. So I did cry at the Anna meeting when I heard somebody else's story of how their child died and uh, it was actually a huge release to be able to cry actually so I've never missed I've hardly ever missed that was nearly 11 years ago now so I don't I think I've missed about three Anna meetings in the 11 years it was the greatest help I did other things that helped you know after about six months I started doing meditation because Luke had done it over the next few years I went to seven retreats in Junction bear down in West Cork, is a Buddhist retreat centre. Luke would have loved it. I started keeping a journal, that was really a good idea. I went for counselling and I did that for over a year. That was helpful. And uh, one of the most helpful things was I got a dog. I just got this yearning for a dog because I'd had one when I was a child that I loved and we had a dog when they were small but then we said we wouldn't get one again. It ties you down. But anyway, I got the strength six months after Luke died to go to the DSPCA with Jill and we picked the little dog and it was a great, really, really was a comfort to have him. Teddy, still have him. All those things helped. They all helped. But I think that actually, for me anyway, my, the Ann Carr was the most helpful thing. I remember the summer after Luke died saying to my sister, I don't know anyone else whose child has died. And Carol-Ann, my sister, I think, well, look, there are millions of people who've died, and that's why I don't know any of them. So, to meet other people whose children had died, it was just, I don't know why it is, but it a feeling of solidarity. And at the first meeting, somebody asked um, a woman who was there, a mother whose child died some years earlier, Do you ever feel okay again? I think I asked her, Will I ever feel okay again? And she said, well, the way I describe it is I'm happy and I'm sad at the same time. And that, that really helped me for her to say that it just gave me hope. So it's so it's good to see other people who are further on and that they're actually living their lives and that they're not in this dreadful state. It
0: helped. In that early time, as you're describing, I think we often use the word coping and you've mentioned some of the things that helped you cope. What did coping mean to you in such a difficult time?
1: Just getting up in the morning and making myself do things. I'm back. I couldn't go back to work for three months because I was in education. I couldn't go back to work till September, and I did then, and it was really helpful for me. I know some people can't or don't want to go back to work. For me, I don't know how I would have done if I didn't have that structure. And people at work were so nice and help, kind. Coping. I think for the first few months, all I did was barely survive. You know, I just didn't, you know, didn't care. I didn't have showers. I didn't eat. I lost loads of weight. I smoked incessantly. I'd say it was only about three months after Luke died that I began to kind of get some semblance of a bit more than barely surviving. Yeah, yeah, getting back to life and being proactive in it
0: been 11 years now that is a long journey we've talked about those first few months since then what has that grief journey been like for you and the family
1: well i'll just say for myself first i would sum it up saying the first few years i just wanted to die i don't know how long that lasted it lasted a good while maybe not years but certainly months or a year and then I made progress to the point where I said, I'd be glad if I was told I had cancer and I was going to die. I, I don't really want to live. And it was some years before I got to the stage where I thought, I actually want to live. I, I'm, I was enjoying life. I was zest for life again. I want to make the most of the life I have. But I only got that back. Took a while. Took a long time.
0: And in that, you've mentioned about reaching out for support. And that's something you can only do when you're ready for it. Can you talk to me about that, that act of reaching out?
1: Well, I think I was very lucky because I have a very close family of origin and my sisters were absolutely fantastic, four sisters. And they were really there for me. And three close friends as well, actually. Um, I just didn't want to see anybody else at all or go anywhere Um, reaching out. Well, I suppose I started going for counselling and it did help. It did help. It just wasn't... Being in a group of people whose whose children have died is, was better for me. It helped me more.
0: Talk to me a little bit about that with Anna and Cara, What you found there within that group?
1: I found... First of all, I was made to be very welcome to the group. That people there... Had gone through, you know, had gone through a similar awful experience, and they knew what it was like. So people understood each other. You now everyone was different. Everyone had different ways of coping, and but um, it also helped to see people who were further on and were doing well, and that was really encouraging. But it was some kind of I use the word solidarity. In being in suffering together, there was some kind of bond, which was. Somehow gave you a bit of strength and encouragement, yeah.
0: With the grief journey that you've been on, when you got to that point, as you mentioned, of wanting to live again, embracing life again, tell me more about getting there. What shifted? What changed for you?
1: Well, partly time, I suppose, but... Then they say time is what you make of it, so what you do with it. I think it was partly Luke... He was really into Buddhism, and he had a frequent saying about the lo- the symbol of the lotus. Are is very important in Buddhism, and um, it grows in the mud, and it symbolizes beauty coming from pain or suffering. And I mean, for ten years, I've been planning to get a tattoo of a lotus, and I will sometime if I live long enough. But I think of that. I think of Luke. That he had really did suffer hugely from distress. He was surviving and he would have really made something of it. So, I think being a volunteer parent helps. I know that Luke would really think it was a great idea to do it. So they are parents who have to be bereaved at least two years before they and been coming to meetings and then they can apply or be invited to become a volunteer parent. And you just go to the meeting every month and co facilitate and try to be helpful and supportive to the parents that come. I still like going to the meetings. I always find them interesting. You know, sometimes there are people who've been coming for a long time and you see them it's really nice when you see them getting a lot better. You can see that but also there are people there in the beginning in an office state. You see all kinds of people. Well it's nice to think that you might be helping them, giving them support. My garden was a great help to me. I think nature and being close to the earth. is very, for me, it's really consoling and um, I love that. Now I'm, yeah, I've done a few courses. Actually, I'm a bit of a nerd. I like studying and that helps me as well. (laughs) I'm a very mature student doing a master's in psychotherapy and I'm really enjoying it. I've nearly finished it now.
0: In terms of Luke and his memory... Tell me, how do you connect with him?
1: Mm, I think of him a lot. I know that everyone remembers the sad bits first and the pain if the person was ill and their death and then they gradually come back to remembering happy memories, you know. So I think I'm still doing that because Luke had such a long period of suffering and because I kind of blamed myself, but I'm letting that go. I think I have let it go. And um, I'm remembering more, like I was telling you about how funny he was, and I still haven't listened to his music. I can't. I don't know. I will sometime. I I can't face listening to him singing. I just so. I've a long way to go yet. It's a lifelong journey, you know. I remember asking once at a meeting early on, "How long does this last?" I don't know what they said. What? How could he answer? It doesn't end. You just get better yourself. You learn to live with it. You learn that it stays within you. The pain is there, but it's usually under the surface and you live around it and you can live really well and you can be happy. But it's always in there and sometimes it surfaces. You know, It could be a birthday, it could be hearing a song or it could be anything. Um, you know, It's really painful for a period of time, but at this stage, you know that'll pass. And some parents actually say they welcome it, kind of connects them to their child again. They wouldn't like to think they'd never feel really sad again. So I would say I'm having a really, I'm very happy now, probably happier than I have been in my life at this age. But the loss of Luke is still in my heart, you know, it's a hole in the heart still.
0: Tell me a little more about where you are now and where Luke is within that.
1: Well, where I am now, I'm very well. You know, I've never probably been this... I'm very rocky in my moods myself, you know, but... Um, I am in good form and I do, I think one of the things that happens after you lose somebody is you appreciate more the people that are left, the other, the others, and um, all the good things that you do have in your life and you realise they're all transient, you know, but to appreciate them while you have them. So I'm, I think you get that more as you get older as well, which I am. And so that's part of it. Luke is... Whitney, I do, I talk to him sometimes, As some people say they talk to their child every day, I wouldn't say I do but I talk to him quite a lot might ask his advice about something and I can imagine what he'd say I mean I can feel the pain in my heart now when I'm talking about him you know it's, all, it's there but it's under the surface I used to feel early on that I was skating on a lake and ice and after the first while you're on the surface and you can skate along but every now and then there's a hole or a crack in the ice and you go down into the cold freezing water of grief and pain but when that happens now it's less often it's shorter and you know you'll come up again soon you know you'll be okay again it's not like in the beginning you think how the hell can I live It's you think it's always going to be like this it's unbearable it is unbearable it changes and you change with it I think Luke has had a huge effect on me actually as a person in the things I've done since he died. Yeah, he has.
0: It's so clear how he's impacted who you are as a person now. Tell us more about that.
1: (laughs) I think I've become more spiritual. I think the training in psychotherapy is definitely to do with Luke because that's probably what he would have done and he would appreciate me doing it. Achievements are are less important, you know. And maybe that's getting older as well. I know you get more sense or more wisdom. You know, what's important is who you love and living the best life you can and being
0: kind. Thinking about the bereaved parents who might be listening to this, what message would you like them to take away from your and your family's story?
1: Well, the pain you go through when your child dies is very extreme. And it's considered the worst kind of loss for people. So you're surviving, you're living to extreme pain. It won't always be that bad. You know, you're probably finding even now you get moments of being better. They don't last or maybe a few hours of feeling better. That's what happens. You go to and fro. And as time goes on, you get more of them. The pain... It doesn't really get less. You grow around it. You accommodate to it. Your child's loss becomes part of who you are. I think that's... People talk about acceptance. And then you people say, I never want to accept my child died. You come to the point where you know who you are. Part of that is your child died. You don't have to remind yourself of it. It's just part of you. And the pain becomes less definitely less acute and at the beginning it's unbearable it does become less acute except it might recur at times it's it becomes a quieter pain and people can grow through pain it will if you let it you know give you more understanding of yourself and of other people you'll actually appreciate what you do have more but it just takes a while to get there that's not going to happen straight away you have to just carry on the beginning.
0: So there is hope there somewhere.
1: Oh yeah, there is. There is. I mean, I I would describe myself as a happy, you know, happy. I'm very happy with my life. I have great fun. I enjoy things. I appreciate things. I know Luke is gone. That's the worst thing that ever happened to me. And I feel it. I actually feel it physically when I talk about him. But my life is good. You know... And other parents who've gone through it and are further on would say the same, you know. I know that from the research I'm doing. But in the beginning, that seems
0: inconceivable. I know. I know it does. Thank you, Mary, for sharing your and your family's experience and for telling us about Luke and his life. We dedicate this episode to his memory. Anamkara provides information, resources and bereavement support after the death of a child of any age and through all circumstances. They hold regular group meetings and information sessions in the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland. You can find out more by visiting www.anamcara.ie or calling 353-1404-5378. We would like to thank all the parents who have spoken to us and shared their stories for this podcast series. Thank you for listening and be kind to yourself.